0: Welcome to the I Spy with My MyoEye podcast. I am your host, Brittany Murphy. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to bring you up to date in current literature and expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders so that together we can get to the root cause of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers in specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Since beginning work as a manual therapy educator in the mid-1990s, physical therapist Walt Fritz has more recently evolved into teaching a unique interpretation of manual therapy for speech-language pathologists, massage therapists, registered dental hygienists, and voice professional related communities. This approach advances views of causation and impact from historical tissue-specific models into a multifactorial narrative leaning heavily on biopsychosocial influences. His principles may apply to a broad spectrum of intervention models using a model of evaluation and intervention that incorporates shared decision-making, rather than clinician as expert. Unlike traditional laryngeal manipulation and more assertive-aggressive ex- manual therapies and massage, Walt offers the clinician and patient a more subtle approach, aligning well with newer models and allowing the patient to frame the intervention from their preferences. Seeing the utility of manual therapy not as a standalone treatment, but as an integral part of the clinician's more extensive bodywork, Walt makes his approach easily assimilated into those treatment protocols. Walt presents his workshops internationally through his Foundations and Manual Therapy seminars on www.waltfritz.com and maintains a physical therapy practice in upstate New York. You will find Walt in print in early 2023 when Manual Therapy and Voice and Swallowing, a person-centered approach, will be released by Compton Publishing. Good morning, Walt. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and chat with me during this crazy time of the season. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I was so excited. Um, you know, when I asked you to come on and you agreed because that bodywork component is so important. And I find the longer and longer that I'm doing this as a myofunctional therapist, the more I'm stressing the body work component to my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to share with the listeners first, just a little bit about yourself and your background, that would be awesome.
1: Absolutely. I am a physical therapist. Um, I've been that for a long time. Um, And I kind of started my, well, manual therapy was always embedded in the physical therapy profession, um, more from a joint manipulation perspective when it came to college, et cetera. But then, you know, we did some massage. We, you know, it's kind of in our, in our scope of practice. It wasn't really until the early nineties when I sort of went down the manual therapy rabbit hole, I went down the myofascial release rabbit hole Mm
0: -hmm. and, um,
1: kind of got really, um, well, I got really wedged at the bottom of that rabbit hole. I really enjoyed the work. I really um, appreciated the explanation and and the narrative. And I was a classic post hoc fallacy believer um, in that told me a story about fascia and its underappreciated qualities, both in terms of problems as well as intervention. And you know what? Um, I saw that the work worked with people and their pain and their other problems. And I really fell for the whole story. And it wasn't until much more recently that I really kind of got myself out of that rabbit hole and started looking around and see that there's so many reasons why touch-based interventions work beyond those single stories of it's all about your fascia or it's all about the muscle tension or it's all, all these single stories that people relate to us. That we basically buy because the work works, and the the it took me a long time to get out of that. But now I'm like I'm I'm you know in recovery from myofascial release, one might say. Um, but ever since uh, I guess it's been about the past ten years that I've really been looking at this work that I do and teach from more um, a broader base of perspectives explanations etc and that's how now I teach this work and I believe this work works and I still get people coming to my workshops saying I want to learn all about fascia and you know it's like okay go go somewhere else then because I'm not going to teach you about it my work (laughs) my work resembles myofascial release in that it's the slow kind of quality of that that at least a certain style of myofascial release is Mm -hmm. but I have a real like Um, realistic outlook when it comes to touching a person that I can't touch anything except their skin Mm -hmm. and anything else that we claim to be able to impact, um, whether it's posture, whether it's strength, whether it's awareness, whether it's tone, all of those are relative conjectures when it comes to looking at physiology, neurophysiology. And I I try to, to, to keep that in mind. It's like, Can we keep this simple? And, you know, I could talk about more of that simplicity as we go along, but um, I, uh, let's see, the rest about me, I have a practice here in upstate New York where I see patients part time. I travel and teach um, a lot and um, that's been consuming me. I've got a book coming out in hopefully March, knock on wood, on this work, et cetera, and, um, yep, lots of good things. And I'm really enjoying this work. So, and I've actually, you know, my my inclusion in the myofunctional um, community has been a much newer one. And it's been, you know, I kind of, myofunctional therapists have sort of trickled into my workshops for the past six or seven years. And it's not until more recent that um, I've been included on, you know, been blessed to be part of podcasts like yours, Brittany, and be able to share this work with, you know, another community of, of uh, practitioners.
0: Now, do you have, um, a network of myofunctional therapists in your area that you work with, or are you familiar with them just from coming to your workshops? I guess what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get to is, you know, everybody always wants to understand. And of course it's hard to do this because everybody's a snowflake. Everybody's so different, but some Mm -hmm. kind of protocol as to, you know, they're working with us, obviously pre-release, um, you know, for that pre-operative therapy, Yeah the question a lot of people ask is, well, how many times do I have to go for the manual therapy? And mm-hmm. I'm sure I mean, I'm going to have you answer that. But in my mind, I'm probably like, that's probably a difficult question to answer, because it really depends on the patient and their body.
1: Yeah. So to get to for your first question, you have, there's a couple of malfunctional therapists in this area that I kind of work um, indirectly with. Um, in terms of protocols, you know, when I teach a lab class, one of the first things I tell um, the learners in that workshop is what they're not going to like about my class, what Mm -hmm. they're really going to struggle with, what's really going to irritate them. Um, And I'll get to the protocol in a second. The first one that irritates people the most is the lack of a target, the Mm -hmm. lack of a, a defined pathology that we're supposed to be working on and with to create a change, right? Because in fascial work, it was the fascial restriction. Mm-hmm. you know in trigger point work we need to remediate the trigger point in laryngeal tension um we need to r- reduce that muscle tension so you've got this thought of a of a target and even when it comes to okay so resting tongue posture i'm not going to assume that i know your world like you do but resting tongue posture that becomes somewhat of our target that we're looking to intervene on and change right and i don't i don't teach from that perspective at all um i teach from a target of a patient's awareness and and their sense of connecting to what the problem feels like or exists like and can we can we contact that target for instance if somebody had issues with tongue mobility what does it feel like to not be able to do whatever it is, Brittany, that you asked them to do with their tongue? What is that felt sense? Now, that's more than a product of the local tissues, right? Mm -hmm. It's sensory motor, it's awareness, it's perception, it's all those things. And I try to really get them to open up to when you try to do whatever it is that you're trying to do with your tongue, and you can't do that, can you describe that feeling? Mm -hmm. Now, it almost sounds like I'm going to psychotherapy, because that feeling could be, well, it hurts, or that feeling could be, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, whatever that is, right? I work strongly with those patient perspectives and shared decision-making. My, my, the tissue target, there is none, but the target is to get them to connect to whatever it is we're doing. For instance, then if we're doing tongue work to basically to take their tongue and say, okay, Brittany, you describe that feeling when you can't do whatever it is with your tongue. What we're looking to do when we engage your tongue is can we connect you to that feeling? Mm-hmm. So both from a target, as well as the other thing that people really don't like about my work is I don't give them a, a predefined, or at least a beginner's protocol. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I see there's problems with all protocols. In fact, you know, okay. So as a physical therapist, I'm expected to work from an evidence-based perspective. Okay. And what evidence-based perspective often says, okay, you need a study and here's a protocol that says this protocol works for fill in the blank. Right. Mm -hmm. And then somehow Mm -hmm people like our supervisors think that we're actually going to say, okay, this is a four-step protocol. Each step of the protocol is five minutes and we do this three sessions, right? That somehow we actually follow that. Give me a break. Nobody does that. (laughs) Almost nobody does that. I mean, realistically, do we ever truly follow a protocol? And when I look at the literature that's out there and whether it's for tongue work or laryngeal work or diaphragm work, et cetera, and I see these protocols, these studies, these well-done studies that show, okay, manual therapy is helpful for this problem. There's, there's lots of studies, but the protocols are all different. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? Do you say, well, I'm only going to, okay, I'm going to pick one study and only do that protocol or... Do we do what we all do? And that's sort of sample. We sample. And to me, that's the important part of my work is, is sure, you can start with a protocol, especially if you're a beginner. We can supply you with some research that says, here's what people have done. But what I'd like you to do is take the mindset of those protocols and then take the patient input and share decision-making of that felt sense of the patient and design a unique N of one protocol with every person you work.
0: Now, when a patient comes into you for, say, again, from a myofunctional therapist, and the reason I'm gearing this Mm -hmm. towards that is a lot of the listeners are myofunctional therapists. And I know that they're going to be like, why didn't you ask him this? Um, When you have a patient that comes in for, to be prepped for a a tongue procedure, a release procedure, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you find yourself working on things other than this area.
1: De- I, I definitely might i definitely might in terms of that whole laryngeal piece the whole upper body piece torso etc um I, you know posture is such a tempting place to go the concept of posture is one that's so deeply embedded in so many different per, per, per uh fashions um i i i use posture as a marker but i don't mm-hmm. use it as a as a real um finite tool to say your posture is poor we need to correct that all right mm-hmm. um we're not going to get into that unless you really want to get into that but i definitely look beyond just you know right here mm-hmm. um uh, whether it's for the pre-tongue release or for m- my you know the the broader piece of voice and swallowing disorders or the even broader piece of you know i see people head to toe in my physical therapy practice i just have this sort of niche specialty mm-hmm. of you know this area
0: yep Now, what do you say? So, okay, I'm a myofunctional therapist. I'm working with a patient. Um, You know, I know that they need to have their tongue released. I know that I want to refer them to you for that manual component. What would you say is the best or easiest maybe way to explain to our patients what they're going to get out of it that we can't provide because sometimes I feel like what I hear from other myofunctional therapists is, you know, they're, they're annoyed with having to go to like X, Y, and Z provider. Like they came to you, they want you to do it. And obviously we understand the importance of a multidisciplinary team, but what is a good way for us to explain to our patients why that manual component is so important, especially for a tongue release procedure.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm going to answer that from the broader context of the general um, physical therapy type um, Mm -hmm. patient, as well as mindset. You know, there's patients who go to see the traditional physical therapist on the corner um, who does the exercise base, who does that strengthening base, who's working in a gym therapist is seeing multiple patients at a time. And you know what, that, that model works for a good number of people. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, it's good from economy standpoint, because, you know, you can, you can run a clinic and make money and all those things by having the patient see multiple patients per hour. Um, but there are always people who slip through those cracks, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say the things like, well, the patient, the therapist didn't spend enough time with me, right? That's a common thing. And here I am in a one-on-one setting where I'm basically with you for an hour. So you're going you're gonna to just soak all that up and your love and the attention. Um, mm-hmm. Other times, somebody will say, well, they never really touched me. And mm-hmm. for that person, whether whether it's really their problem that needed to be touched or the human being that felt the touch was necessary, right? It is really difficult to unpack those two one from another, right? Um, is that truly a touch-based problem or is this more a touch-based person who feels you must be touched? So I, that's how I look at this work anymore versus thinking there's a problem that only I can fix. Now, to get to that piece of you know, why would somebody feel or about sending somebody to somebody like me? Well, first of all, I might say, well, Brittany, maybe you don't need to do that. This work isn't that difficult. And I don't mean to minimize what I do or what I teach, but it's also not something that could and should only go to, you know, a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. I teach a lot of RDHs. I teach a lot of SLPs. I teach a lot of OTs who are doing the myofunctional work. And basically, they just, they just sort of roll it into everything they do. The concept of touch to me is part of an evaluation, and whether you're doing it to stretch or to increase awareness, right? Increase the sense of understanding what it is you're trying to get me to do. I don't think there's the walls in between all of those that a lot of people think there are. Okay. How's that for not really answering your question?
0: Um, no, that, that was great. And actually that is a good segue into, if you want to share with the listeners, I mean, I took your course, I'm blanking on the name. Is it tongue tongue? Oh my gosh. What was the oh, name? Tongue tips. Tongue, tongue tongue tips. Tip. I was going to say yeah. tongue works, but I knew that yeah, wasn't it. Do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about that, that mini course that you have and what, what is offered in it? Because I found it very useful. Um, some of the techniques I was already doing with my patients, but you kind of gave me a little adaptation of what I can do to just get them a little bit farther.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was a brand new series that I really just started these one hour well, they were live, but we we recorded them live and now they're available for sort of post um, production type viewing on my website. But um, you know what? We just took the content that I teach in my live um, as well as online, longer online courses and said, okay, in an hour's time, can we introduce you to the kind of work that I do? But the concept of moving beyond manual therapy is simply a stretch by seeing the possible overlap between stretching and strengthening. And I and again, those are something there's there's often a wall between those two. But when we really look at what happens when we improve somebody's awareness, which can build functional strength, it's not traditional straight strengthening. Um, it overlaps a lot with stretching. And that's what I think I did. We were able to do in that little mini one hour thing is introduce some of that concept of here's things to do with the tongue from a stretch manual therapy, touch based perspective. But here's also ways to incorporate the concept of functional strengthening in there as well. So that was a fun one. We're going to repeat those with a lot of different body areas uh, coming up in the new year. So that, that was fun.
0: Awesome. No, the super exciting. And for any myofunctional therapist listening, I definitely think it's a course to take it was pretty inexpensive and totally worth it. Um, just finding ways to help our patients, um, you know, to Walt's point really get in that good stretching and awareness prior to them having that uh, tongue release procedure. Now yeah. Walt, do you see a lot of patients that are in some kind of expansion appliance?
1: In my practice, no. I'm, I like to be totally transparent. No, I I, I see just the smallest little sliver of your very deep and broad type of patient profile. It's more or less um, hanging out with you guys, whether it's hanging out with you guys um, in a class that I'm teaching or online like this, or even through engagement on Facebook that I belong to a lot of your groups that I learn more and more about your profession. Mm -hmm. I'm really transparent about who I am as a physical therapist. And I'm teaching primarily speech pathologists and RDHs. Those are, as well as some massage therapists, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just talk about I'm here to build a bridge. Let's meet in the middle of this bridge. Let me hand this off to you, Brittany, and say here's here's some ideas on how you might be able to add or change or modify what you're doing. Now take it back and make it your own instead of everybody's got to practice my protocol to call it Walt right. Fritz work, you know? So, <laughs> so no, I don't see those challenges on a daily basis that you are using. And you know what? I learned just as much from hanging out with you maybe as you learned from hanging out from me, which I think is pretty cool.
0: Now, okay. So I have two questions. My first question, I guess, would be what about uh, patients with TMD? Do you see that a lot in your population? Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. That I see a fair amount. Yep.
0: Okay. And since I guess having this connection to the myo world, do you look at those TMD patients differently? I I had spoken to another, excuse me, physical therapist on my podcast and she went on to take a myofunctional therapy course herself. And she said how she wishes every job, you know, pain patient that came in prior, if she could see them again so that she can do, um, a tethered oral tissues evaluation to test them, to see if there is some kind of restriction there. Cause it wasn't something that she really was trained to look at before, but now moving forward, as she's taken these courses, she's noticing a lot of correlation between TMD and tethered oral tissues.
1: Yeah. So I I'm probably less enlightened than her in terms of that spark going off and seeing that connection but yet um, I again I'm going to be repeat what I just said I learned so much from when I teach I learn so much from you mm-hmm. you know in terms of how those connections are are often seen um, you know is there you know is there de- there's this definitive pathway that TMD and tethered oral tissues are linked or Is it part of the language that we learn that sees a link? You know what I mean by that? Because, Because in the PT profession, for instance, people see this link between posture and pain. Now, the literature doesn't support that, right? In terms of the actual, to say, does poor posture cause pain? But yet, when we see somebody with a postural issue and a, and a certain pain issue, we sort of align those that correlation and say, "I can do something to help that person." And and that, trust me, and please believe me, I'm not trying to minimize what you just said or say that that those links aren't accurate. Oh, of course, it's, it's so interesting the way that we can begin to see connections and correlations that where other people don't. Um, I you know I have a lot of more traditional TMD TMJ type patients in my clinic. Um, and there's sometimes, from an evaluation perspective I can I can spot a severely you know um, tethered oral tissue type of thing for somebody who I suspect has a specific problem, I'm going to refer them to you know a dentist or a practice that can do a, a better job than I can. All right? yeah. I know I know my my limitations, and I, I really admire whoever it is you were talking about, who said you know went back and took the additional training to say. I want to know more about this. I need to know more about this. So,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's um she's a fantastic provider for sure. Um my next question would be so we do a lot of breathing reeducation in our myofunctional therapy <laughs> programs. Now, what types of how do I want to say this? What types of therapies on your end would you do to help strengthen somebody's diaphragm. Now, I guess the point I'm talking, I'm getting at is I want you Mm -hmm. to talk about how, like, you know, it's not just the diaphragm, like it's the muscle surrounding. Um, I'm sure there's pelvic work involved and, you know, things like that. So if you want to touch on that a little bit for me.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I come from a very, um, I come from a perspective over the last 10 years of seeing muscle strength, not as much about, okay, let's be hypothetical. You need to lift this weight to get stronger, right? Now, certainly that's a part of it. And we can do resistive, you know, breathing exercise, et cetera, to, to con- the concept of building strength. But I think I think in, in the exercise physiology world, it's difficult to really see, is there a line between classic, you know, weight training, Mm-hmm. And the concept of improving sensory motor awareness, perceptual abilities on how to access an area, right? Diaphragmatic breathing for, you know, it has been around forever and people being told they're breathing incorrectly. Um, I, I have a sarcastic, I'm very sarcastic. And, you know, I I feel like, okay, without any training, I'm breathing correctly because I'm still alive. Right. right now, now that's that, that's that's dismissing a lot of really good breathing research and breathing technique and breathing approaches. Um, the concept of improving a person's you know, breath support comes from exercise. It comes from stretching. It comes from cognitive behavioral work. And in reality, maybe we're doing all of those when we simply touch somebody. If I can touch somebody down here in the diaphragm area mm-hmm. and have them access that feeling. What does it feel like when you can't get that full breath, right? Is there pain? Is there sense of, I can't access it? Um, What is that feeling? And that's where I go, Brittany, is in terms of what does it feel like? Can we access it with stretching, with pressure, with mechanical input to try and build that sense of of functional strength, all right?
0: Um, I love that you continually ask them, like you want to know mm-hmm. what they're feeling through their perspective. I feel like that's so important of, you know, when we're talking about neuromuscular reeducation to really be able to repattern. Um, they have to be able to have that awareness, right? Otherwise okay. they're probably going through these sessions or going through their therapies or their homework, whatever they're doing. Like Just, maybe this is right. Maybe this is yeah. what I'm supposed to be feeling, but to be able to work through that with you in the clinic, I think is really great. And that's definitely, I saw one patient after I took your course so far that was getting ready for their release. And I asked them, you know, as I was feeling on their tongue, um, you know, different things that they were feeling from side to side and, you know, what have you. And it, it, I think it just made, there was definitely a bigger connection there. And I think it just, Clicked more for the patient as to yeah. what they should be feeling or working towards when they're doing these exercises at home on their own?
1: You know, to me, the traditional biomedical model is the clinician as expert model. The clinician, you know, we've got education, we've got training, we've got experience, we've got know how, and the patient knows very little. So they come to us really seeking our input. And it, with the clinician as expert model, we're really good at saying, here's what's wrong with you and here's mm-hmm. what would be best for you. Now, that model works. Don't get me wrong. It has worked. It worked for me for decades. It works for most people. But yet, here's this parallel thing happening in the health and, and medical community of shared decision-making, of allowing the patient more input, not just in terms of, you know, do I want chemo or do I want not want chemo, those mm-hmm. sorts of shared decision-making. But I'm seeing it come up in in most of the therapeutic literature as shared decision-making is a necessary um, aspect of the work we should be doing. And to me, this is how I embody how I teach and how I treat is I tell people, you know what, I, I don't, sometimes I'll actually say this if they say, you know, well, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what to say. And I'll say, you know what, I know a lot. I've learned a lot, but I don't know what you're feeling or what you're fearing or what you're hoping for or what you're expecting until you become a part of this. And I seek, I seek inequality, if at all possible, of decision making. And it's never in any relationship, it's never equal all the time. But I, I look for a balance. Okay. I'll say to you, Brittany, you know, to me, this feels a little grumpy. This feels a little thick and tight. Um, but what do you think? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times what I think is important is not what your experience tells you. All right. Um, so I, I look, I look to balance those out. And I just think that's probably one thing that if I leave my mark on this at all, is trying to get the clinician to step back from thinking that they know what to do. Mm-hmm. We, we have ideas of what might be important. Um, but how about handing it off to them and allow them to choose to? And I think whether it's a manual therapy type of input or exercise input i use shared decision making in my exercise prescription too moving away from those those lame physical therapy exercise sheets or whatever to say here's what you do for a frozen shoulder right i still might might start with that but then we we move into there and say okay patient if that's not really getting that sense of we're doing anything what do we need to do to that exercise to make it more person centered for you and that's where i i think that's probably one of the more challenging things of my work, and whether it's my live class or those little online things, is moving beyond, here's what we do with the tongue. And just thinking about, well, here's an idea to start with the tongue, but then start asking your question, What or your patient, the question, what should we do for you? Right. Uh, and that's really that. challenging for people when they're used to. Being, going to a workshop, reading a book, whatever that is, and saying, here's the protocol, here's the steps, here's the rationale behind it. There are so many post hoc fallacies built into all of our trainings. It's almost scary how much I was willing to believe just because it worked. Right. Um And that is such a common thing in all of our helping professions, we get stuck in these narrow-minded views of what's wrong and what needs to be done because of those post hoc fallacy type issues.
0: I love that idea of it being more, you know, patient guided or uh, client guided, whatever you're calling Mm -hmm. people to connect with their own bodies. It's not just you connecting with their body, right? They have to be able to have that, that awareness. Um, I want to talk a, um, a little bit about, sorry, my dog, give me one second. I knew he was going to do that today. Um, but anyway, so more about posture now, again, posture to your point is just so multifactorial and a, kind of a hard topic to talk about. But mm-hmm. if you had to choose three exercises that you can share with the audience that can help just improve overall posture or just help to open things? Um, what would those be?
1: I, I don't have that (laughs) because Brittany, what I would do is I would step back from what you asked me and ask, what is it you're trying to seek out of that posture? right? Right. Um, Okay, so I'm gonna get into philosophical for a second. Yeah. There's I think there are too many of us who have been sort of seduced into the thought that there is a posture that's optimal. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who say, well, it minimizes energy expenditure, it minimizes wear and tear in the body. And that's where the plumb line goes down in the middle of the body, in the middle of the body. And that then has become the framework for what we say, okay, you've got this problem. Look at your forward head, correlation. We say, okay, we need to get your head back where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there, there's decent evidence to show when we realign someone that often will improve their resting tongue posture, their neck pain, whatever that might be. But what do you do, Brittany, when you go out there on the street and you start looking at people's posture and you start tapping them on the shoulder and if without getting hit by somebody, right? If you tap somebody <laughs> on the shoulder who's got a horribly forward head, do you think they're always gonna have the kind of problems that we see correlated to that or are they living a perfectly fine life with a, with a dramatic forward head? And I think that's where um, we get so lured into feeling that whatever walks in our door, we're seeing the problem visibly because of, our, of all of our evaluation tools. Okay, And I also see an issue with the concept of posture being this ideal norm, which is almost a static place. When in reality posture is dynamic, none of us can hold a posture. We're constantly fluid and fluctuating and moving from that. What I strive to do in my annoying way is not make one posture be the place you you must be, Mm -hmm. but give you the option to be able to choose different postures and still function within those. Because the reality is, um, if I start telling you, Brittany, that you need to be here or things are gonna fall apart, Think of what happens up here to that patient's brain and awareness and fears centers of the brain to think, ooh, 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 that's a problem, right? Wouldn't it be lovely if we could get them to do everything with, within a broader range of body postures and positions? Another aspect of that that I talk about at length in my classes is the concept of posture, not just being plumb line posture, but skeletal asymmetry posture all right? And skeletal asymmetry from my myofascialist release background was one of the things we always targeted. Oh, their shoulder's high. We need to get that shoulder down. Their neck is rotated at rest. We need to bring that neck into midline. But then when you start looking at the actual research that, that looks at you and me and everyone else and says that the vast majority, the, almost every single person is asymmetrical, almost every single person has a subtle or not so subtle scoliosis which causes an unleveling of the shoulder and the thorax and causes the neck to turn the head to shift. Is it realistic to think that I can get your posture back where I think it belongs, or can we find a way to make you functional within that normal asymmetry that you have? All right. So how's that for totally blowing off your question?
0: No, Um, I I like it. This is, again, it's enlightening because you want to hear Different views. It's it's it you should hear different views, right? Because it's not a one size fits all. It's not, you know, one over the other. I I, I think it's enlightening for myself and for others listening to really hear that. To your point, you know, as soon as you said that, I I thought about the feeling you have when you see a patient walk into your clinic and you're already starting to evaluate them and seeing exactly what's going on and you think you have the answers to everything, but to your point, it's really all about well, how are they functioning? Because that's the end goal, right? Right.
1: And from your perspective, this might be a little bit different scenario. But let's say a patient walks into my door with a newly acquired, you know, neck pain. All right. And I and we can't help but go into that part of our brain that we're sizing them up right away. They're opening the door. Why'd you open the door that way? Right. Why's your head turned this way? All these things that we're doing. And but what we're seeing is is this slice in time. And I have no idea if this person's neck pain was due to a new change with posture or whether they've always been like this and they're, they're, they're gonna die like that, but their neck pain will go away even though they'll be like this. That's the problem with these in the moment snap decision evaluation models that I learned from so many different type of viewpoints and whether it's muscle strength, whether it's range of motion, whether it's posture, ooh, whether it's soft tissue, fascial tension that I learned in my fascia release, right? They're just little bits of a very narrow view of a much larger person.
0: Absolutely. Is there anything else, Walt, that you'd like to share that we didn't touch upon um, for the the listeners?
1: Oh, man, how many hours do we have? (laughs) Um, No, you know, um, I think touch-based interventions, um, again, you can go almost into like – you know, almost r- religious divisions when it comes to all these touch-based interventions. And each one feels total validation that they're, they're justified and right. Um, ultimately, I use touch as a non-denominational tool. Um, mm-hmm. I use touch not to create change here, but I use touch to create a sense of awareness because I love the new research that's coming out that's showing the mat- multifactorial aspect of touch where it's, touch is almost... Um, a stimulation to local reception, whether it 's actual mechanoreceptors or or awareness perception etc it 's using this signal from the periphery to go to the brain and allow the patient to begin making choices of their own and there 's so many layers and levels that i 'm not going to bore you with right now of both physical science as well as behavioral science that come into play when we touch. But yet somehow we say, no, it's all about the trigger point, And I just fixed your trigger point. So my, my, my end point in this is that, you know, can you sort of use your touch certainly as an evaluation tool, but also as an awareness tool, because if you can bring awareness to an area, um, you may be able to influence outcomes, function and dysfunction simply by bringing awareness to that area.
0: I feel like that's been the overall theme of this episode is awareness. And I love yeah. that because it's, it's so important. You know, I talk, when I talk about being successful in myofunctional therapy, a lot of people think that myofunctional therapy is simply just giving exercises. And like, it's not, it's so much more than that. You can give exercises. till so you're blue in the face, but you know, they're doing their exercises, say, let's just be gracious and say, they're doing it 30 minutes a day, which typically they're not. What are they doing the other 23 and a half hours of the day? There has to be this overall awareness of what they're feeling, how they're posturing things, um, where their tongue is, where their lips are, where their teeth are. There has to be that awareness component. It's so important in order for us to really impact and make changes. Right.
1: Right. You know, in that tongue tips, um, little mini course that you took, we talked about that, you know, when I walked around the room in a class real recently and someone was doing my technique incorrectly. And I immediately said, that's wrong, but I love that, right? Uh-huh. That sense of what she did was open a door for me where, okay, so we basically were doing, so I, I, I was teaching some sublingual, some some um, base of tongue, floor of mouth type work. We we're going in and we were doing a little pinch awareness um, mm-hmm. stretching, but she had her thumb on top of the tongue. And it's like, no, that's totally wrong. But the more I thought about it, the more we talked about it, the more I felt it on myself and did it to others. And Actually having them with my thumb back there and moving side to side and having them purposefully try and push up on my tongue, maybe you, one could really stretch the point, no pun intended, and say that's strengthening, right? Yeah. But if they lack the ability to even have for you to, to get their tongue to do what you're asking, can you give that little bit of input over the tongue mm-hmm. and say, now push up? Mm-hmm. from a very, you know, um, a broad perspective, now push up and now push to the side or move your thumb to the side and get lateralization. That was mm-hmm. such an interesting awareness for me because in a way I'm still doing my mild, my manual therapy type work where we're quote unquote stretching, but we're also probably building a lot of functional strength as well. And I just think that with those concepts in mind, you know, you could probably take a lot of what you do mm-hmm. by adding then patient input and giving touch not only to strengthen but to stretch in all those things and just sort of broaden the playing field a little bit to give them a better sense of what is it that Brittany's asking me to do. Well, here, push up against my thumb, and maybe you can you can get a better idea about that
0: absolutely. And being open to listening to patients or your students, and, you know, some people, I feel like they get so, I don't want to say obsessed, but kind of obsessed with like what they learned is doctrine. Like it is Bible. There is no going away from that. This is it. Anything else besides that is wrong. Absolutely not. And for you to force, of course, of course, you're going to first notice like, well, that's not what I'm teaching, but then you're looking further and you're open and you're listening and you're feeling, and you try it on yourself. Like Again, in the end, our goal is to help our patients, to maximize their function, to give them, you know, optimal function. So just keeping an open mind and learning from each other is amazing.
1: It is. And I know that, you know, when clinicians take my work and go back to the clinic, I doubt if there's one who's actually practicing exactly like I do. I don't want you to do that. I right. want you to, you know, we sample. How many continuing <laughs> classes have you taken in your life? And I've taken a lot, right? Where... You, you've you literally not used one bit of that because it just didn't resonate. Yep. And what I hope is the work that I teach is to say, okay, you may not embrace this whole broad, fuzzy logic type of approach that I have with my patients, but the concept of elevating your patient's input mm-hmm. in, in shared decision-making, if you do nothing from my work, um, except do that, I think that we've kind of won the day because Absolutely. that's really what this is about. So
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Walt, so, so much for coming on. You shared such insightful um, information and, you know, you're a wealth of knowledge. So we truly, truly appreciate that. Um, And thank you again, the listeners. Thank you. I thank you. And I hope you have a happy new year.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy With My if you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at hello at myctom.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology or Instagram handle CT underscore Oral Facial Myology. Everybody have a wonderful day.